You are now listening to The Sexy Escort Guide, discussing everything fascinating about the world of paid companionship. And now, here is your sexy host, Exotic Vivian. Hi guys, this is episode 99 of the Sexy Escort Guide podcast. I am your host, as always, Vivian. Wow, we are one episode away from 100. Oh my God, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Me and Chantel started in 2018, just before the whole FOSTA SESTA thing. And now here we are, one episode away from 100. I definitely want to do a giveaway in honor of our 100th episode. I will be giving away $100 cash to your cash app, Zelle, or Bitcoin. If you send me an email telling me how the show has impacted you, please also give your stage name, location, and how long you've been listening for. I will read all of the responses on the show, and the winner will be selected at the end of the day the show airs, the 100th show. So start sending your entries in now, Vivian at TSEGP.com. I can't wait to bless you for blessing me. Yes. Okay. Our guest today has been a sex coach and sex worker for over 12 years across the U.S. Starting as a sex coach, incorporating sex work, blending spirituality, entertainment, and education. Ms. Talia Amor has created her own philosophy around the how and why of sex work. She is a mother and wife in a CNM, which stands for Conscious Non-Monogamy Relationship. Talia co-creates bespoke experiences with clients and also mentors others interested in following the path to becoming, and I quote, whore-tastic. But first... A word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our diamond sponsor, Companion Tax and Accounting Services. You've heard us interview the owner, Mary Lee, on episodes 7, 36, and 58. Companion Tax really knows their stuff, and I, Vivian, can personally vouch for them. They are the professionals you need to hire to handle all of your tax accounting and business needs. Companion Tax was created specifically with us companions in mind. It doesn't get any more niche than that. They have been in business since 2011 and have become a leading resource for the community. Although based in South Florida, they are licensed in all states. You can visit them at companiontax.com and fill out the new client information form to get started and take charge of your financial future. Hello, Talia. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, this is going to be a fun little episode. So let's just jump right in. Please tell our listeners a little bit about your background, who you are, how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I am Talia Amor, and I am a full-service sex worker and mentor and sex coach, and I've been doing this for over 12 years. Oh, gee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was um, like, it's so funny because I mean, looking back, I didn't really realize that I was switching careers to become a sex worker, but that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I was um, a salon professional. Those are skills that you can take into this world as well. I mean, I love how everything you do kind of prepares you for this life. (laughs) 
Yeah, it kind of flows into each other. So I was working behind the chair as a stylist and I was a shareholder and partner in the salons. And I decided to get this business and life coaching certification because I realized that a lot of times it's not, it wasn't doing the haircut that kept people coming back. It was how I treated people. Could I be present? Was I caught up in my own shit type of thing? So really, and I was young when I started doing hair. So I mean, I was 17 when I was licensed. Plus, I feel like a lot of people probably use you as their therapist. (laughs) Right, exactly. And so I just remember, you know, realizing that, you know what, it's the coaching and mentoring that has really helped me be successful in this industry. It's not just how to do a great haircut, you know. So that's really what led me to the coaching and mentoring. So I was using that in the salon with our leadership team and our staff. And they take you through this process when you do these coaching certification things. And they want you to find your niche or your specialty. So I was like, all right, yeah, sure. Let's figure that out. So they take you through this long process. And the two themes that were really present in my life were spirituality and sexuality. And I thought that was very interesting because they're things that people are really uncomfortable with. (laughs) I was like, wow, like I'm like really comfortable with this. And I always kind of jokingly said, I must have a sign on my forehead that says, tell me about your sex life. (laughs) Because people would just tell me things. I know exactly how you feel. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it just is when you're, you have an openness about you and a non-judgment, people feel safe with you and they share. It definitely has something to do with your vibes, your aura, because I'm also one of those people that I'll meet someone and they decide to tell me their whole life story. And I'm just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it can be like surprising if you're not used to it or if you don't know how to navigate that. I'm used to it at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, at this point, you know what to do. Um, But then it was kind of, yeah, like an aha, like, wow, you know what? Maybe this is actually a superpower of mine because most times they tell you to take your mess and make it a success, right? And at that point, you know, I wasn't really, you know... (laughs) I had messes, of course, but in the grand scheme of things, the two things that were coming up for me were things that I was very comfortable with and um, very accepting of and realizing that there's an opportunity to help other people with some things that they are really uncomfortable with that I seem to be really comfortable with. So you basically transitioned from the beauty industry straight to sex work. How? Yeah. So I, well, at first I had to figure out like, what the hell is a sex coach anyways? Right. Cause this is like 2008, 2009. <laughs> and um, so I found a sex coach actually in LA and talked with her, Dr. Patty Britton. And she had a whole school for sex coaching. She gave me all these resources, like everything from uh, medicalization of sex to sex surrogacy to Tantra to entertainment, all of the things. You went deep. Yeah. And she's like, you know, explore and see what lands for you. And what really landed for me was the Tantra and sacred sexuality. So I started going to workshops, reading, taking classes. I found some mentors and started training with people. 
and um, quickly realize that this is something that I can support myself and raise my kids and actually be present for them rather than paying people to raise my kids and still not being able to make ends meet. That was a factor. And then also, too, just really feeling a calling towards this. So I decided that I was going to work for a year and save up all the money that I made in the salon and savings. And then I would tell my business partners that I wanted to get bought out because I knew that they would just tell me to leave. And that was it. Like there would go my health insurance, like everything would just be like done. That's kind of what led me on all this different sex work journey. So I started with the Tantra and sacred sexuality and quickly realized that people were coming to me just simply because they wanted companionship and to have experiences. So these are mostly male clients. Yeah, they're cis-hetero males. And I would work with some couples here and there. But yeah, of course, it's like, you know, being 27 years old, I always said, well, don't waste the pretty, you know, (laughs) may as well not waste the pretty now. Yeah. And so I was like, well, shit, you know, let's see what this is about. You know, in the Tantra world, you hear a lot of, oh, this is the higher path. It's more spiritual. So this means that it's better than everybody else, which, you know, enter hierarchy, I realized, you know, (laughs) so but then I was kind of like, um, I'm sorry, like, Just because you prayed over someone, does that really mean that like you're still not giving a happy ending massage? Because this really seems like the same (laughs) thing right now, you know? So if you think you're better, like I'm just not so sure about this. So I'm going to figure it out. So then, of course, I started opening up the Tantra practice into entertainment and escorting. And I was doing full service Tantra anyways. How did you decide to? entered the world of escorting? Like, was it just a natural flow? Or did you know someone that was an escort? And you were like, okay, let me see. It was already happening. It was already happening because I was doing like full service Tantra sacred sexuality, which is really edgy. Most Tantra practitioners will only do one way touch. And they are absolutely not full service in any way, shape or form. And even a lot of Tantra practitioners will take the sex out of the Tantra. So I was already in the deep end. And so people coming to me knowing that this is a sacred union, if you will, in Tantra terms, full service type experience, it was just, it was just changing words, essentially, and changing the motions that you're going through. So instead of me talking about breathing techniques and muscle control and the spiritual path and all the things I'm listening to people tell me about their lives or, you know, just shooting the shit about whatever's going on and, you know, more lighthearted companionship type stuff, holding space for them, just loving them where they're at. And so that jump really wasn't a lot for me. I was curious, though, like, what is it like to be a stripper, you know? I wanted to embrace my inner stripper fantasy. So I was like, let me go do that. I started doing some like I was kind of dabbling in like the sugar stuff around that same time. But then yeah, once I started escorting, and there was like clear boundaries and clear expectations, I was like, Oh, God, I can't deal with this lack of boundaries and stuff. So I, I didn't keep the sugaring stuff up for very long. And then also already doing a lot of the escorting. The stripping seemed like a lot of fucking work, 
you know, I'm like, oh my God, this is like a lot of fucking work, you know? (laughs) It's definitely not for the faint of heart, which is why I think it's probably something you should start with, especially when you're young and you have all the energy and you want to, you know, do all these things on the pole. But, you know, as like college age, that type of thing, 20s. But then as you get older and you get into this world, you realize that your time is more valuable and you can do way more. I think the only thing that I don't care for about the strip club is that you have to be there for like six to eight hour shifts, like a regular job. And yeah, you can't leave. You have to tip out to leave or, you know, you have to make your money because if you don't make any money, then you basically pay to go stand around in the club and do nothing. Yeah. The other thing that got me about it was that it's the hustle. It's the constant hustling. And we're, I'm very like straightforward. So I'm like, what do you want? Okay, let's do that. You know, okay, it's this much money for my time. Great. Let's do that. Rather than this game of like, let me string you along and create these illusions and act like I give a shit and all like that just seems really messy to me. And it was exhausting. And I'm much more straightforward. So there, therefore, I decided to go see what it was like to work at a brothel. So I went out to Nevada and worked at Dennis Hoff's places for a while. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So then because in my head, escorting is different than prostitution. But I'm like, is it really? And working there, I realized it absolutely fucking is. Because you're literally negotiating sexual services for sale. It's not like, oh, it's this amount of time and we can do whatever we want. It's, no, I want a blowjob and I want it this way or I want to have missionary sex and doggy style. So now I'm going to charge you per position. You know, I'm going to charge you per sex act and I'm not giving you a time frame. So I'm just going to say, give me $800. And take your $800 and write down 10 minutes on the sheet. And they're going to call into my room in 10 minutes and tell you that it's time to give me more money. So now I can draw more money out of you. You see? So it's like, it was, again, this kind of game. And I'm like, whoa, this is like very different than when I'm independent. And I'm like, pay me for my time and we can choose to do whatever we would like to do with that time. Yeah, the brothel, the brothel never really appealed to me simply because I just felt like it was the same strip club model, except you're stuck there for like, you can't leave because if you, if you leave, you have to commit to like, I think two weeks because a friend of mine tried to do it. Yeah. And then you can't leave the premises because then you have to get retested. And then that whole testing thing, like, Every week, it's expensive. Yeah, and then now you're in the system as literally a sex worker. We already know the stigma that comes with it. (laughs) You know, and that one of my girlfriends, they refused to take her picture down. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they still have mine up on some of their websites. (laughs) Yeah, so it's kind of like, it's like you're really like committing to, you know, having this on your profile forever. That wasn't my lane. It just never appealed to me, the whole brothel thing. That is totally not for everyone. Because talk about like Caddy and being in a house with 20 women. And there's fucking at every hour of the day. Like there is no privacy. You wake up hearing it. You go to sleep hearing it. You sleep in it. Oh, wow. Damn, they don't even have soundproof walls. And you're sleeping in it. You know, you can change your sheets, but your mattress is wet. Guess what you're sleeping in? Unless you go into a VIP room and and squirt all over that. Damn, they didn't have like vinyl sheets or nothing. Like what is going on? 
you can buy your own vinyl sheets. Yikes. <laughs> so you purchase your own shit. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like I kind of dove into all these different things. At least you tested it out to figure out what worked for you. I did. And I wanted to know about it. Like, you know, this is better than this, or this is different than that. And I'm like, really, it kind of seems like we're all doing the same thing. And there's a time and a place for every single interaction that's happening, whether it's at a strip club or a brothel or an escort or on a cam or over the phone. Like, I really, really believe that all of these ways that we exchange energy are valid and acceptable and they should be honored and celebrated as long as they're within the realm of consent. So, and again, that points to my Tantra and coaching backgrounds to where the belief is really that there's not really anything wrong with us. We just maybe want something different, or maybe we're experiencing something that we want that is separate or different than what we've been told. And so how do we rectify that? How do we bring that together and still feel good about ourselves? So kind of coming from the space of everything is sacred and nothing is really good or bad. It simply just is. And you have the choice to choose what you would like to engage in, you know, which is where the word discernment comes in. So I'm not making any of these other things wrong. I'm just simply choosing, hey, working independent full service is really like where that was my jam. You got to do what works for you. So yeah, I did. I dabbled in all that stuff and continued with the coaching because essentially like we do coach our clients. And yeah, it just, you know, I got to that point where, like you said, that year in of stacking, you know, money. And doing all of these different things, I got to the point where I told my business partners, hey, guess what? Um, I want to get bought out. And it was exactly what I thought. Okay, great. Come and go as you please. You no longer have health insurance. See you later. Bye. Well, at least you had equity ownership. At least you were smart enough to do that. <laughs> yeah, but getting that money back, is the, that was a whole nother situation. Oh, so they didn't really buy you out? Yeah, I mean, for a fraction of what that was, and that's a whole nother story. And I love them up and down, and I was really young, and they were trying new stuff. And I fucking love them for the experience, and I love them as people, and I have nothing bad to say about any of them. I fucking love them up and down. Well, at least it wasn't a terrible experience. Yeah, no, I mean, I could spin it all these different ways, but the facts are what is, and I can choose what I, how I want to perceive that and what I want to take away from that. Honestly, that gave me, you know, business understanding on when I did leave the salon, how do I want to run my business, my branding, how do I create my persona that is me? that I want to work in and, you know, saving money and paying taxes and all of the things. So I already had some background from the salon industry, which was really, really helpful. And taking that leap of faith, it's like you said, knowing that, hey, once you cross this line, you can't come back from that, right? <laughs> once it's out there, it's out there because now we have the internet. Now it's 2010. <laughs> At that point, you know, and so I made that conscious decision and um, yeah, realized that this is really where my calling is and accepting that and rolling with it. So that's what I did. That's how I got, you know, to where I am. Fast forward, you know, over 12 years later, 
apparently it's working out because you're still in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> what do you think is a misconception about sex work in general? Oh my goodness, that it's easy and we're not working. <laughs> you know, and that we do whatever we want to do and that it's not really work. Some of that could be true for some people. Like, you know, the saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day. So I And I have posted that multiple times. And guess what? There's always a day that you don't feel 100% and you're still keeping up your work ethic to show up for someone. Yeah, you're not going to cancel on the client unless it's a life or death situation. Right. And so that's, you know, kind of where I'm pointing to. It is still work. This is still a livelihood and to be respected and takes a lot more than just having great and a nice time and horsing around to sustain your emotional health, your physical health, your mental health to raise a family, to pay your taxes, to buy houses, get a car, you know, volunteer, be of service in other areas. Yeah. And so it actually is work and it's not just horsing around all the time and that it's not the same as having recreational relationships, which is what (laughs) I call them. You know, who I choose to be in partnership with in my personal life is not who I work with. You know, like for me, I do not like to take people in my personal life and make them clients for sex work. And I don't like to take sex work clients and make them personal friends. You keep a clear line. I feel more comfortable with more clear lines. And of course, there's always going to be some exception to some rule somewhere. Some, so I'm not going to say never, ever, never. And I do like to keep those boundaries clear just for my own health and my own sanity. So I don't feel like I'm being taken advantage of or getting things twisted in my head or feel like I'm presenting something different to someone than what actually is. So what's one misconception people have about you? Oh, I that's I've thought about that. And I'm not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, maybe people think that I've been told that I'm intimidating. And I guess, you know, that's other people's stuff. I do know that I'm a strong personality. I've learned that I have a lot of energy when I speak. And I get excited. I'm half Cuban. So I think like it's part of my like Cubanness or something that I get loud and excitable and wave my arms around (laughs) because it's really not from my mom's American side of the family. They are not like that. But I think that sometimes like my energy or passion around something or excitability can be taken as offensive or people get their feelings hurt. I feel like people get their feelings hurt over whatever. I mean, you could literally say the sky is blue and they'll be like, how dare you? I wasn't feeling really cheerful today and you had to go mention the blue skies and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, or I see it as red and let's argue. (laughs) And I'm just like, goodbye. Um And I do, I I do have a, a side that's kind of very like direct sexual blueprint, very kind of dark masculine-ish that's like, get over it and move the fuck on. So I think that could be a misconception about me that I don't have feelings. And that's just all of me. So you are vocal about other things on your social media? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I'm vocal about, yeah, vulnerability. I do like to stand in my power and own what I think and what I believe and where I'm at. And I like to do that from a space of more like grace and ease and love. You know, I don't own my thoughts and beliefs and who I am to try to manipulate or control or disprove or make someone else wrong. You know, it's really me just being in me. And I actually do have feelings. And I always kind of jokingly say like, shh, don't tell anyone. (laughs) I really do have feelings. (laughs) I mean, but that's the only thing you can do is be yourself. There's nothing else. I mean, that would be the best thing to do is to be yourself. I wouldn't recommend, you know, trying to contort yourself for public consumption. That's just a recipe for disaster. It is. And I've always been told, especially from like a marketing standpoint, like the more true you are to yourself, the more intensely you're going to draw people towards you or push them away. And so even the repelling, you're going to draw the people that are your people towards you. Yes. Yeah. So either way, it's still good to really stand in your authenticity and in your power. You're open about being a mom. How has that been as far as public reception? Because, you know, I still feel like society sees women that are in any line of sex work and having children as less than or, you know, bad parents. Or So sometimes I almost feel like you should probably keep that to yourself unless you know the person and you care for them. Like I wouldn't even advertise that I had children, me personally, and I don't have children, but if I did, I wouldn't. Yeah. So for me, I'm always pretty much have been an open book to a certain extent. You know, yes, there are certain things for my own privacy and sanity that I wouldn't share with people like clients, but I've always been open about I'd love to stay and chat (laughs) and I've got to pick a kid up from daycare right now because they're going to close or, you know, Hey, I'm running late or this happened, like real life happens and raising kids. That's totally part of it. And why am I doing what I'm doing? It was because I was raising kids, you know, like I wanted to be there for them. I wanted to be there with them and having three or four jobs all the time and still not being able to make ends meet. And literally paying other people to raise your kids, like it's really devastating and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I've been honest with people that I interact with through sex work that, yes, I am a mom and that is part of who I am. You know, obviously it doesn't have to be a topic of conversation, but if it comes up or I'm asked or something like, yeah, I'm open. I'm happy to share who I am. And then as far as like going around, In like civilian in real life, the way I've navigated that is the word discernment again. So I'm not hiding who I am or what I do, but I do have choice and who I'm going to share what with. And so I do have a lot of different things that I do for a living. So maybe I'll just tell them that I, you know, am still a belly dancer or Maybe I'll tell them. You were a belly dancer? I still am. (laughs) Yes. I feel like that's the uh, equivalent of stripping in the Middle East and you can make a ton of money. (laughs) So it kind of in that culture, I mean, you could see it as that. But I'll tell you in belly dance world, it's 
I'm not a stripper. I'm a belly dancer. <laughs> I mean, but technically they're not taking off their clothes. So, but that's the most they can do in certain places in the Middle East and they get paid. So if you're a belly dancer, go to the Middle East. <laughs> right. And I still show up at the grocery store with a hundred dollars and one. I still go through it. You know, I can choose who I want to share what with. You know, so if I know that my daughters or friends' parents are super conservative, I may not bring that up in the topic of conversation. That's also me respecting where someone else is at. And then you also don't want to open your kid up to, you know, ridicule because I find that, you know, parents will say shit and then the kids will take that on and then go spread it through the land. This is how bullying starts. (laughs) Yes, it is. And that's also how I've chosen what type of sex work I feel comfortable doing, honestly. Like, I feel like the only thing I really haven't done is porn. And I've done, you know, like OnlyFans stuff and this and that. But I still really kind of in the back of my head don't really like the video content for a few reasons. But, you know, for me, having the conversation with my kids about, yes, this is what I do for a living. It's behind closed doors. Rather than them going to school and seeing a video, having their friends show them a video of me getting fucked in the ass, you know, that's going to be a little more challenging for me to explain to my kid. Like, personally, I feel more uncomfortable. Oh, geez. I don't know. I I feel like Porn is so mainstream. Actually, everything about the adult entertainment industry is super mainstream now, especially with OnlyFans, you know, going crazy. And I don't know. I just feel like the porn stars, they have kids. A lot of them have children. I feel like that's a conversation they probably will have with their kid when they're older. They just hope and pray that their friends don't find the porn first. I can't believe it, too. It's like the young kids are the ones watching the porn. Like Pornhub is open for anybody. And of course, the guys that can't have access to women because they're broke, they go to Pornhub, the little teenagers, and then they see someone's mom. Right. Well, and this is also and again, that's my own shit that I didn't want to have that conversation with my kids. I'll have the other conversations, but my own shit, I don't want to have that one. You know, so it's me having a discernment of what am I actually comfortable with here, you know, and owning and standing in my power, like authentically and sharing that, you know, so, okay, this is where my limits are, or this is where my edges are. So I'm going to play in my edges for now, you know, and allow other people to do their thing. Personally, if I had children, I wouldn't tell them shit. (laughs) (laughs) so and then this is the other thing though there's this show called big mouth okay it is super explicit and my daughter is in high school now my son is in his 20s so they're older but point is them being in middle school at one point me going oh no i am not gonna leave your sex education up to public schools or another 11 or 12 year old or porn, or fucking Big Mouth on Netflix. I don't even, what is Big Mouth? Never heard of it. Girl, oh my gosh. So as an adult, it's probably, it's hysterical, honestly, but if that's how kids are literally learning about sex and body functions and all the things, like, 
you kind of don't want that to be teaching your kid. So I've always been open and I feel like there's appropriate conversations that you have with kids because you cannot desexualize human beings. Like human beings are sexual beings from conception until we die. So there's appropriate stages of sexual development for children. And so there's ways that we can talk to kids about sex that are appropriate for their age level and for their understanding. So I've always tried to explain what I do and talk about what I do within those bounds, right? So really leaning into, I'm actually a sex educator. I teach people about sex. I coach people about sex. I help people have better sex. That's a good way to frame it. (laughs) Because that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I'm still wouldn't tell my kids shit. <laughs> but that's oh. just me. But I would educate them on sex education. Actually, I found that because my sex ed was in middle school. It was actually pretty thorough. I felt like, you know, they were very thorough about all the sex stuff. The only thing they didn't tell you was how to actually have sex. They just told you more about, you know, how reproduction works, you know, STDs, things of that nature. Basically, they're trying to, you know, steer you towards abstaining from sex. But at some point, you're going to have to fuck. So I feel like no one ever teaches anyone how to actually have sex. (laughs) Which is why I'm here. And I realize that this is my superpower. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, uh, Healing the world one orgasm at a time. So yeah, actually, that is kind of where I've landed in what kind of like my area of expertise and passion really is. I know about some business stuff. Yes, I know about photo shoots and marketing and all the things. And there's a lot of information out there for people in the sex industry about that. And there's not a lot of information about like client interaction or handling sexual interaction that you have with people. That's because of stigma. And that's going to lead me to my next question. How can we reduce that whole stigma thing when it comes to this world, given that this is the world's oldest profession and it's always been looked at as unconventional, like Mary Magdalene, she was the hooker, right? Which one was the one that Jesus washed the feet? So technically, I listened to the Oldest Profession podcast and they have an episode on Mary Magdalene. There literally is no evidence that she was a sex worker. They use that to shame her. So they have used sex work to shame people. So they basically lied. It's kind of like when they call women sluts. Yeah. They basically lied and said she was a hoe. And then, of course, Jesus was like, nah, I still mess with her. And that has been done to powerful women throughout time. So a lot of the women that we have been told were sex workers in some way, shape or form after listening to some of these episodes where they're very scholarly and they have all the degrees and all the things and they're doing academic research, which I completely like bow down to because that's not my superpower. The evidence has shown that these women were slut shamed. And that they weren't actually sex workers. <laughs> they were just powerful women. So they weren't even fucking? I mean, um, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. They could have been. Clearly, they weren't fucking enough to be called sluts, because technically, isn't that what a slut supposedly is? Is somebody that just fucks a bunch of people, which is usually men. Men are the sluts, by the way. But that's a story for another day, because men would literally 
stick their dick in anything. <laughs> well, I do have a saying about that, though. My whoretastic offering is that whores get paid, sluts don't. Yeah, you know, if you want to give away your resources for free, bless your heart. It couldn't be me, but, you know, you do you, boo. And I just feel like there's this girl. Her name is Corinne Steffens. She was called Superhead. She used to be like a video vixen, but now she's like bonafide writer and she's graduated and she's doing other things. Like, And they also labeled her a slut back in the day when she was doing music videos. And she said, there is no such thing as a slut. Like, it literally takes two people for that to happen. So how come the woman is the slut, but the man <laughs> is what? Nothing? <laughs> yeah, isn't. Right. And so, yeah, so, you know, I feel like reducing that stigma around sexuality and sex work, it does happen one person at a time. It happens one conversation at a time. And it really, it takes us being able to own what we do in a healthy way and in a safe way for us. So again, with discernment, doesn't mean you have to go plaster your shit all over the internet and you're having conversations with your clients. You're having conversations with maybe someone you met out wherever you are. So I do think that there's an opportunity to shift some of that stigma. And I think that it's through normalizing sexuality. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like as long as we have religion, mm, that stigma is never going to go away. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're going to see it in our lifetime. It's been around forever and it still has stigma. So I don't know, man. And we can only do like the best we can for where we're at. You noted that you learn compassion through sex work. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because again, having a, a coaching and Tantra and sacred sexuality background, I have a very kind of Tibetan Buddhism spirituality and very um, Taoist sacred sexuality views. And so when you go into those schools of thought or spiritual paths, really is what we're doing is we're joining compassion and wisdom. And that is the divine union of masculine, feminine coming into one. And you see that represented in different deities and practices and all the things. So if I can really acknowledge that in this present moment, in this time and in this space, we are divine beings inhabiting a physical human form. And my job as a provider and holding space as and calling is that I'm going to see through you. I'm seeing through your age, through your physical form, through your muscles, through your fat, into you as a human being and an, a divine essence as a person and honor you for where you're at in this time and in this space right here and right now. That is really, really powerful. And it's definitely not easy. But getting to know people and hearing their stories, people come into sex work as providers and as clients for a lot of different reasons. And once you start hearing these stories and feeling people's heart, then all of a sudden, you know, like all of those judgments and things kind of melt away. And so it's really, really taught me what unconditional love is for someone else and for myself. 
You know, I really believe that we are unconditional love to us, from us, for us at our core. Like that is the divinity piece. And that even when someone else doesn't see themselves or me as that, I can still choose to hold that space and hold that as the highest good for all parties involved, whether they're present or not. Dealing, interacting with people on such an intimate level to whereas maybe in my personal life, I would have some judgments or thoughts about that in this space going into it. I'm letting all that stuff go. I mean, honestly, I don't feel like you can do this job if you didn't think that way. If you're literally judging somebody the minute they walk through your door or the minute you walk through their doors, that's going to be very difficult for you to connect on any other level if you're like judging them. That's why we have all the polarity in the world today. It's because everyone's judging everybody. Nobody is meeting people where they are. Nobody is just looking at you as a blank slate and interacting with you first and then you know, coming up with their feelings for you, whatever that may be. I just feel like people are just judging you before they even know you, meet you, talk to you. And you can't do that in this job or you're not going to (laughs) last. Right, exactly. And, you know, and in real life, we're human beings. So we have unconscious bias. Like, so it really kind of, This work allows you to even witness some of that unconscious stuff and it brings it to light and then it gives you more choice. And how are you going to operate in this space? You know, are you going to let these conscious or unconscious biases, you know, rule your business and direct your business, which you can. I have absolutely heard sex workers that say, I don't see anyone that I'm not as sexually attracted to. I just won't see them. Or I'm not going to film content with people that I don't find attractive. And I'm like, good for you. It's called privilege that you have the privilege to be able to do that. Because if you're really in this, like the way I see it, like we open and are loving and accepting for all people. And most people in sex work don't have the privilege of being able to interact with only the people that they think are sexy. I mean, there was this, and probably still is somewhere in the Twitterverse, this long-standing debate of the girls that put, they don't see Black clients in their ads. You know, on one end, the Black escorts are like, well, you have Black escorts that will see you, but you rather chase over Becky Sue. (laughs) and you're getting your heart broken. But then on the other hand, I don't understand how you would just exclude a whole group of people because is it, is it because you've heard stories, different clients of different races are bad clients. It's not just the one group. Yeah. We're human beings and you can find a shitty person anywhere and they could look like anything. And that really breaks my heart. I did see someone recently Oh, so it's still making the rounds. It is. And he said, he told me, he's like, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, sure. And he's like, how come sex workers don't see me once they find out I'm black? They stop talking to me or they refuse to see me. I just sat there and it just like my heart broke. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm really sorry. That's been your experience and nobody deserves that. And Obviously, it's something that is still out there. And, you know, it's up to them, you know, maybe they did have a bad experience, maybe they have some trauma, or they have their own shit, right? The wrong people, they have their own shit that that's going on with them. 
And I was like, babe, that's about them. That's not about you, you know, but it's just like my heart breaks when I hear stuff like that, you know, because people are people. Yeah, there are agencies that won't hire black girls because they don't think they're in demand. And I'm like, uh, a bunch of black girls will beg to differ that are independent. I feel like that's why a lot of black girls end up going independent and then they realize, okay, these agencies are full of shit. Even me, when I, the first few times when I was going to Dubai, I actually got linked up with this madam, like a proper madam, like she had like super wealthy clients. And my friend linked us up. She's blonde. And she flat out told me, she was like, I'm going to add you to the roster, but I don't know that you're going to get clients. And of course, I made her so much money. So now, <laughs> now, whenever I go, she's like, you know, let me know when you're coming in town. So that way I can line up clients for you because she realized quickly that that's not the case. Like, I don't even understand where these people are getting their rules from. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And that's where this learning compassion comes in. When you see the effect that that has on people, like you look in someone's eyes and you hear the tone of their voice. I don't know, maybe it's just me, like my secret empath, don't tell. <laughs> but like, I feel that, you know, I feel that from them. And it's like, I can feel their pain. And I can see the effects that that has on them. And that it's heartbreaking. You know, and so, yeah, I would love to say that, oh, yeah, you know, let's fix this and it's going to be great and a nice time and heal the world and blah, blah, blah. And like real life still happens and that stuff is still there for what it is. You just have to go where, you know, you're celebrated and try to, you know, not dwell on the people that don't want you. I mean, we kind of did an episode on this a while back. It was with me and this other escort who has since changed her name, another black escort. And we were talking about racism and sex work. I think that's what it was. And we were saying how our clients, like me, my clients are probably 99.9% .9 white or any other race. And I can count like my black clients on one hand. So it's like, there is no... There is no saying that, oh, this one group won't like you because of who you are. You just kind of have to put yourself out there, see who loves you, and then you love them back. At least that's the way how I run my life. Like I only focus on the people that are loving me and the ones that don't can kick rock. Yeah. And so I'm hearing you say that you have developed compassion also for yourself through sex work. You know, I've always loved myself, though. <laughs> This was something that was taught to me by my parents, first and foremost. So I feel like, you know, once I came into this world, I learned other things. But as far as compassion and stuff like that, I find that a lot of minorities probably will have that built in because they know what it's like to be excluded because of, you know, whatever reason, based on where they're from, the color of their skin, their hair, whatever, because they're so used to that or they're used to being excluded from things, they tend to be a little bit more empathetic and compassionate to people because they know how it feels to be excluded. Absolutely. Yes. And sometimes, you know, it goes in reverse and it makes you have a chip on your shoulder, you know? So it's like how you choose to navigate that, you know, is really up to you. And that compassion piece is huge. Yeah. Cause you can't really dwell on that either. You can't, if you do, you're going to drive yourself insane. Like, imagine 
waking up and only thinking about all the shitty things that could happen. Because the world is in the shit show right now, in case nobody has noticed. (laughs) In case nobody noticed, the world is a total fucking shit show right now. However, I choose to focus on the non-shit show parts. Enter your gratitude journal that I heard you talking about in a couple of episodes ago. The attitude of gratitude. (laughs) Yes. I actually did that this morning, you know, but yeah, so I don't, I try to stay away from things that I can't change, you know, and just appreciate the things that I can and the things that are going well for me. That's how I stay sane in this crazy ass world. Yeah. There's a level of acceptance that needs to happen. And slowly but surely, maybe we'll get there. Okay. So you told me about a course that you strongly believe can help sex workers relate to their clients and serve them better. The erotic blueprint. Tell us more about this. So one of the modalities that I'm certified to teach and train and share with the world is called the erotic blueprints. And they are actually founded by uh, this woman. Her name is Jaya. She's a world-renowned sex educator. And when I first started going into the sex coaching Tantra stuff, I started following her. And fast forward years later, she came out with this course called The Erotic Blueprints. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm sex coaching. I want to know about this. And when I took it, I realized that this is the perfect language for what I've been trying to put words to my experience in sex work. So the blueprints are essentially like the five love languages, but it's for sexuality. So these are, it's a way to map your arousal and pleasure and put language to how you experience arousal and pleasure in your body so that you can actually share it with somebody else and then vice versa. So there's five different blueprints. It's um, energetic is the energy and the vibe. So you find Tantra, sacred sexuality. Sensual is all about the senses, the smell, the taste, the candles, um, massage. And then the sexual blueprint is pretty much your cultural norm. That's genital contact, nudity, get to the orgasms. What else is the point? And then the kink blueprint is very Best. (laughs) You can have sensation based kink and you can also have psychological kink. And so, for the sake of um, this conversation, kink would be anything that's taboo to you. So, it literally could be if you always have sex with the lights off and now you turn the lights on, that could be kinky to someone. (laughs) You know, a different position. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So, sometimes people think, oh, kink is all this pain and it has to be leather and it has to be no honestly you might be kinky because you like to push the power dynamics you know maybe you want to do something different and so then the final one is shapeshifter and that is a combination of all of those and so each blueprint has their superpower and a shadow and so once you start diving into your own blueprint stack cuz everyone has a little bit of each blueprint in them And we have absolutely seen that as your experiences happen over time, you do expand your capacity for pleasure in these different areas. So a lot of it is about expanding your capacity for pleasure, expanding your baseline for pleasure. It's about finding words to speak into where am I at right now? Or 
in relation to sex work, I've been able to pick people out and know exactly what they're going to do. Like the guy that comes in and is all over you, super handsy, wants to get down right to it, doesn't talk hardly at all at first, total sexual blueprint. After they have an orgasm, the floodgates open and they tell you all about everything in their life. But they need to have sex in order to relax. Isn't that all men? Just kidding. <laughs> it's a lot of men and it's some women. And you know what? I've noticed I have this tendency to attract a lot of energetic and sensual men. And they're the ones that are, they will sit across the room from you or across the couch from you and talk to you for 45 minutes before they'll let you get close to them. And they want to have the conversation and they want the space in between and the buildup of that energy before they can be comfortable enough to get sexual. So for them, they need to relax first before they start stepping into pleasure. And so if we treat every person that walks in our door like a sexual blueprint, we could be scaring away these other people, right? Or if you're operating in an energetic and sensual space and sexual blueprint comes at you, you feel like overwhelmed and shocked and violated and all the things. So really, I would say I'm more of a shapeshifter because I basically at this point now I can do this in my sleep. Like anybody can walk through my door and I already know what vibe they're on. And then it also helps to the type of session they book as far as the amount of time they book, you know, and then sometimes they extend. It just depends. But I feel like at this point, I can pretty much shapeshift to figure out what the hell you want and give it to you. Give it to you. Good. Give it to you straight. Yes. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. So all of this experience in sex work, I took this course and I was like, holy shit, this is the language that actually describes what I know to be true based on my experience. And so, of course, then I did the certification and then now I'm in leadership within that group and I'm, I help coach other coaches and lead our community calls. And I mean, I think it's, it's good because I don't know, again, just like in civilian life, nobody really teaches you how to have sex. In the whole world, nobody really teaches you how to be with your clients. Like, yeah, screening, marketing, all that good shit. Now you get them through their door. Now what? You know, we can't really teach because, you know, prostitution is illegal. So I just feel like that whole world gets to be underground. And now this blueprint thing seems to be the key. Welcome to the deep end. <laughs> That's where I live in the deep end, I found out. But yeah, and absolutely. And so yeah, I use it with civilians. I use it with sex workers. I use it with clients. And it's amazing to be able to speak into where you're at and be like, hey, babe, can you just fuck me right now? And then we can cuddle later. Or honestly, you know what? Like, I'm really feeling like overwhelm or like a lot of energy. I'm feeling super energetic. Can you just like lightly touch my body and just tease me for a minute? And like, really just like, let me lean into that and make me want it so fucking bad and then go for my pussy. You know, so it's like, how do we find language to put our desires into or, or to explain what our boundaries are for some people? This is definitely good for the clients, too, because you're getting met where you're at and you're not feeling weird and awkward because sometimes it's very hard for clients to describe exactly what they want because they don't even know how to put it into words, first of all. And 
sometimes they don't even really know how to vocalize what they want. Like they don't even know. And there's all this assumed consent when it comes to sex work. And so that's why I really see an opportunity to have like a new generation of sex workers that we're actually teaching consent by example. We're teaching this language by example. We're having the conversations with our clients. We're not just doing it and not talking about it. We're actually putting words to it so that they're leaving with more information about themselves and other people. And they can take that into the rest of their lives to navigate sexuality. So that's kind of where I feel like I've got a little passion and calling is like that blending of entertainment and education. Because who says that education has to be boring and lame? Like that totally sucks. I don't want to do that. I want to have fun. You know, like I want to learn through doing it. Like I don't want to just talk about talking about it. I want to do it and see what that's like. You know, show me how to have the conversation. Let me practice touching you this way. You know, let me practice, you know, speaking out loud things that I have never said before to anyone. Speaking of Tantra, do you know Tashi Zell? Have you heard of her? Actually, I interviewed her on a past episode and we basically mostly talked about Tantra because that's her, her thing. I was just wondering if you guys like have a community that you kind of. So there's a lot of different communities for Tantra and sacred sexuality. There's a lot of different like paths, I guess, different types of Tantra. And I mean, really, it's all the same. It's just kind of presented in different ways. So I have not met this person in real life yet. Yeah. I'll send you the link to her episode. She's amazing. Okay, so you mentioned that you are in a conscious, non-monogamous relationship. What the fuck is that? <laughs> All these names. <laughs> yeah, words, 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 words. I'm so, like, over labels. I saw it. I, you were like, CNM. I'm like, huh? What that is? Or they'll say CNM, like, ethical non-monogamy. What? <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. One, the book, The Ethical Slut came out years ago and put words to a lot of these different ways of relating. And also the book Polysecure is fucking amazing because that puts words to attachment styles in relation to polyamorous or non-monogamous relationships. What conscious non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy means to me is that we obviously we are not monogamous with each other, but we're open about it and we talk about it and have the conversation, right? So it's different than say being poly because polyamorous is usually assumed that you're in romantic, emotional and physical relationships with multiple people. That's too much. <laughs> That's too much. And or you could be very just polysexual. Right. To where you are open to having sex with multiple other people and partners, but you don't want the emotional attachment. So basically hoes. Yes, that could be it, you know, or friends with benefits or whatever, you know. And so that's kind of why I just like the broad term like conscious non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy, because it basically says that we are not monogamous and we talk about it and we're not hiding from each other. We participate together, 
and experiences and we are allowed to have our own experiences and we talk about it and we address things as they come up. Could you be living with this person or is it basically you guys are seeing each other regularly? You're just seeing other people as well. So for me, I technically am married. Oh, so yeah. Okay. So I know, I know, I know. So um, <laughs> we domestic partnered essentially. So I guess it, the technical word is we domestic partnershiped. So you're not legally married. Yeah, no. So it's just an easier way of saying it. We're gay married, essentially. But we had sold our houses and bought a house together. And so, yeah. And he's also a sex coach, sex educator, tantra practitioner, kink practitioner. He also has some experience in this realm. And we do actually work together um, in sex work. And we also do coaching together. I always said that the only way for this to work is if the person is in your world too. Like the only way you're going to have a successful quote unquote marriage with someone while still doing this is if they're also in the business. Yeah. I mean, it's challenging because like this is, <laughs> he pointed out to me early on, um, you've been living an alternative lifestyle your whole life. And <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean alternative lifestyle? My life is normal because normal is what's normal to me. I never had a nine to five job. Even in the salon, it wasn't nine to five. Same, never had it, don't want it. Yeah, I never had a guaranteed income that I was making every week. So I do understand, yeah, we have some different hurdles that we go through because I have primarily been in this non-traditional lifestyle my whole life. And he comes from a more traditional background that he has expanded into more non-traditional relating. So we do have our own conversations around that and we each have to do our own work around that. So what I found is that as long as we're both willing to have the conversation and do our own work and we have a commitment to each other, then we're still good. We could maybe not like what's going on or be in a spot where, you know, where neither one of us is happy with each other and we still know that we're committed to each other and we love each other and that these are literally just things that are happening. This doesn't necessarily define our relationship, you know? And so being able to, like I said, have the conversation, being willing to say, I got my feelings hurt, you know, and this is where I'm at when I need to take care of myself right now. Um, maybe I need some space or maybe I need to be held. Maybe I need to be reassured. Sounds like he's the one that's mostly getting his feelings hurt. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to say that. Not at all. Oh, no, man. <laughs> Don't tell anyone that I have feelings too, you know. But yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. And I think that it is possible. I'm not going to say it's easy breezy. But our path is how can this be easier? How can this be more pleasurable? You know, how can this be more beneficial to us? You know, maybe we're not where we want to be right this second. 
but how can we start to take steps to get to where we actually want to be in our relating? There's a lot of acceptance of what is. There's a lot of compassion and empathy for ourselves and each other. And it's based in that unconditional love, you know, and we need to unconditionally love ourselves first so that we can unconditionally love each other. And a lot of this work, it is around the attachment style and it is around unlearning things that we learn as we go through life, whether it's from family or religion or just culture, society, all those stigma type things that come up unconsciously. Being in a relationship allows you to heal things that you're not going to even see when you're on your own. So stepping into relation with someone, you're automatically signing up for seeing some of your blind spots and having an opportunity to transform those into superpowers instead of obstacles. Again, it's the deep end. (laughs) Well, I feel like, you know, we should be deep. I mean, there's only so much you can do on the shallow end. Yeah. And some people are happy there. And that's great for them, too. But not everybody is. Not for long. <laughs> They're not happy there for long. But um, what is the biggest mistake you've made in your adult entertainment life? Ooh, um, I think sometimes even unconsciously feeling the weight of like the collective consciousness around the stigma of sex work. So maybe not speaking up when I could have or not taking an opportunity that was presented to me, maybe based in fear of something. Yeah, but you can't beat yourself up about that. And looking back, if I were to say, ooh, you know, maybe there were opportunities that I could have taken that, you know, would have shifted things. Or maybe, maybe I just shouldn't have taken that one appointment and this really bad thing wouldn't have happened. (laughs) That would be great. We could undo that, um, <laughs> but you can't. You just learn from it and you move on. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I could sit there and be like, oh, yeah, I could have changed this or would have changed that. Oh, this was a mistake. But honestly, was it really? Was it really good or bad? You know, did I learn something from it? Was it just a thing that happens? Like, can I let it go? It's really the meaning that I give to it. So, I mean, yeah, there's stuff that I think I could have done differently or that I would do differently. And I don't really feel the need to say, oh, man, I made this huge mistake and, oh, I should have done this and all, you know, (laughs) like hemming and hawing over something like I'd rather take it and be like, hey, you know what? Let's accept it, own it and move forward. So you kind of mentioned that dove into this world of sex work by trying different things. Did you have any mentors or did you kind of figure it all out on your own? Oh, fuck no. Always. Mentors, always. Yeah, it started from me reaching out to that first sex coach and figuring out what that was, right? And her giving me all these resources. And actually, I did complete her school. Thank you very much. (laughs) Sex coach you. And also, I found a mentor in a conference in Arizona. This woman lived 45 minutes away from me in Florida. (laughs) Okay. So I mentored with her for years. I still call her sometimes and talk with her and share. I love her up and down. I mentored with people that she mentored with. 
I mentored with Jaya right now. I just have completed about a four-year mentorship with her. And now I'm in leadership in that organization. I found another sex worker that mentored me. Have they all been in Tantra and sex coaching? Or what about escorts and BDSM? I've gone to dom school. Like I've had dom trainings. Definitely love that. I've also, one of the first women that I was mentoring with, she was a former sex worker and she helped me with like websites and photo shoots and screening better and stuff like that. So the actual sex work type things. So yeah, I did. I reached out to people and paid them to help me, you know, figure it out. So I wasn't making the same mistakes that they were. And when I did have an issue, like I remember, you know, some of the first times that people asked me to do like some kink stuff, like pee on them or call them racial slurs or, you know, humiliate and derogatory stuff. Like in my being, I'm like, oh, you just don't say those things to people. How can I say, but, you know, or, you know, I remember calling my mentor and being like, they want me to do this. What do I do? Ah, you know, and she's like, babe, it's okay. It's just what some people like. And, you know, you don't yuck someone else's yum. And, and this is their psychology around it. And, you know, so me, you know, getting to process my own shit about what was happening in my work life helps me a lot, you know, helping to have the conversation with my clients on, okay, wait, I need to understand why you want me to say these things to you because this is an edge for me. You know, like in my being, I would never say these things to someone and I'm willing to be this person and hold that space for you. But I need to understand why and how this is being of service to you. And so once those things were explained, then I was willing to hold that space and I understood and I could say those things without, you know, attachment to me being that, you know, or them being that. I mean, and then you can also do all that and come to the conclusion that it's just not for you. Right. And that's true, too. Because I personally, I don't do race play at all. It's just not my thing. I don't give a shit why you want it. (laughs) It it will never be my thing. You know, so I was like, I, I just know for me, and I'm not judging you. I'm just going to tell you that it's just not my lane. Just like when it comes to BDSM, I don't do anything that involves blood. It's just not my lane. I mean, there are plenty of people that do it. You can go find them. No judgments. It's just not for me. You know, so. So, yeah, I haven't advertised the things that, you know, like some of that stuff that was super edgy. I wouldn't say, oh, hey, I'll do this for you. But I'm in a space now to where if someone asked me, I could hold space for them in that way. You know, it doesn't mean I'm going to go do it and sign up for it all the time. But if something arises, then I know that I'm capable of choosing whether or not I want to participate in that, you know. So, yeah, and I needed mentors and people in my life to help me process that. I have feelings like from holding that space for someone. So now I have my own shit that's going on. So I need to go process my own stuff. So that's the other thing I think that's really important for sex workers to have some type of a mentor or confidant 
or coach is that we can process our own stuff so that we're not taking it back into our real life or into our work. And we can be solid and confident in ourselves and do our own processing. I think that's really, really important. What is the worst advice you've ever gotten? Not to screen. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) I know people that just don't. They won't do it. That's fine if you don't, but why would you advise someone else not to? Because that's their way. That's how they do things. Oh, I just talk to them and I just feel their vibe and da 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 da. And I'm like, whoa, that's really scary. (laughs) I just feel their vibes. What? (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, like, I have screened people and still had really horrible experiences. So even to me, (laughs) yeah, because, you know, you're not gonna, you know, sometimes you might let one slip through the cracks, but at least you're doing it. Right. You know? So yeah, I mean, to not screen and I just, yeah, I cannot advocate for not screening. It's about safety to me to each their own. I think that's bad advice. And even the process of screening is screening. Like the fact that they're going to give you everything you asked for in itself is screening. Somebody who is like, oh, I don't want to. That's screening in itself. It is. It is. (laughs) Like, how difficult are you when I ask you for all these things? That's screening in itself. You got to do something, but maybe that's what they do when they're vibing with them on the phone. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. I mean, I don't know their path or their way, or maybe they don't have the, you know, maybe it's a privilege to be able to screen. You know, I've heard people say that too. I've heard that argument and I just, whatever. We're going to move on. What is the best advice you've ever gotten? (laughs) Ah, To do something nice for myself with all of that money that I was making. So are you the type of person that doesn't treat yourself? So, okay, well, if you fast or rewind back into me going into this, I had younger kids. You know, so I'm paying for daycares and school stuff and doing the single mom thing. And so for me, everything that I'm making essentially is going back into raising these kids, you know, or taking them to eat or doing stuff with them. And one of my girlfriends was like, babe, you've got to like, just buy yourself a nice pair of shoes or some nice perfume or go to the spa. You deserve it. You're putting all of your focus and attention in this area because that is a priority to you. And that's great. And you need to do something luxurious for yourself too sometimes. It's a type of self-care. So yeah, her encouraging me to, yeah, to buy the fancy pair of shoes that I probably never would have because I had a great fucking week. I hear people don't ever spend your money on this stuff. But you know what it did for me? I love to get that stuff. And you're right. I don't want to spend all my money on it. Absolutely not. But to feel the power of being able to do that for myself, it was like really empowering, you know, to be able to say like, I did this for me. I bought that for me. It's kind of like when you get your first apartment, finally move out of your parents' house and you're like, yeah. I'm a boss bitch. (laughs) Yeah, you know, so no, I don't recommend blowing all your money on fancy shit all the time. 
And I do also recommend, you know, maybe doing something nice for yourself every once in a while because you deserve it. For sure. I mean, that's definitely something no one had to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I've always treated myself well, darling. (laughs) Yes. And I'm a salon person, so I'm all about the spa and the hair and... Yeah. So that's kind of a no brainer for me. But sometimes we just need to give ourselves permission or tell ourselves that it's okay. You know, because when we are, we're paying off debt and we're raising kids or we're supporting a family member that needs help or all the things that we do. Sometimes we can forget to take care of ourselves. So yeah, self care isn't just a bike ride. It's also sometimes taking yourself to the spa. Or trying to get somebody to pay for it for you. Whatever, you know. Uh (laughs) Yeah, or that. How about and that? (laughs) If you could go back in time and talk to your 17-year-old self, what would you say to her? I've always said, I probably maybe would have encouraged myself to actually finish college. Because I think that would have been valuable for me. But honestly, I was already doing hair in a salon. I was already belly dancing. I was already doing all these things that I really loved. So I don't know. Why do you think the college degree would have done something different? I don't know. I think it's just like a story maybe that I think that I'm supposed to have had this experience or I was supposed to do this maybe. Did you go to college and then just quit or you just never went? I started going to college and then I got pregnant with my son. And then I realized, I was like, you know what, there's nothing I'm even going to school for, like that I actually give a shit about. I love doing hair. I love belly dancing. I love doing all the things that I'm doing. And these are my passions. So literally, I felt like I was wasting my time and energy going to school for something that I didn't even know what I wanted. And I always told myself, if there's something that I really want to do, I'll go back to school and do it. And fast forward, I've got a bazillion certifications. And I went to college and I can tell you. eh. Yeah. And, you know, I always say I would have told myself, you know, maybe to more consistently use birth control. I wouldn't change it now. But you have two beautiful kids. It's true. And I wouldn't change that now because I definitely say they kind of saved my life in certain moments. and have made me a better person. And, um, and it was fucking hard. Even people in two parent households say raising kids is hard. So I tip my hat to you. (laughs) Yeah. And it's hard. Like I remember, you know, I think my dad saying like, your life is just going to be a lot harder if you go through with this, you know, he was like, is, are you sure this is really what you want to do? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm having the baby, you know, I'm 18 years old at that point, you know? So yeah, I think looking back, I probably would have been more mindful because I was always the type that was like screwing up, taking birth control pills, you know, at the wrong time of the day, or I'm about to run out. And then now I got to make a left-hand turn and the traffic, and I don't want to go over there. And then I'll go tomorrow. So it was just super like lax on that. That's why I got the shot. I'm off it now, though, but I got the shot, and it was the best thing ever. I have IUDs now. 
Yeah, I've done IUDs after my after my daughter was born. So yeah, I probably would have told myself to be a little bit more conscious of that, just knowing what I know now, that like, hey, you are in for it and you're going to be okay. And you're all right. Favorite vacation destination? I love beaches. I love beaches and cities. <laughs> do you have a favorite one? Honestly, I really do love a lot of our beaches over here on the Gulf side of Florida because they're like, it's like bath water. It's really warm and the sand is really white. <laughs> so I honestly love, yeah, where I live. We do live in we paradise. <laughs> what do you do in your free time when you're not like being a badass sex coach and, you know, all that stuff? Yeah, I do like to, to read. I like to dance. My latest, greatest is these super long bike rides, though, when I've been getting to enjoy your podcast. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so I've been going like, I don't know, 20 something miles a few times a week. Damn, girl. I know, but it just happens so fast because you're just like going on your bike. And for me, it's like I feel like a kid again. I love biking. I just feel like now I don't have the time anymore. I remember during the pandemic, I was biking a lot and I was like, oh my God. And I was discovering like neighborhoods like that are right next to me that I haven't seen or whatever it was great and now I'm like my bike hasn't seen the light of day <laughs> in a while I think it's great yeah I've been trying to do that and I mean I like to work out I did bodybuilding for over five years so I love some weight yeah and you know what honestly I love to bake I love to bake baking is a science and I am more of a science person when it comes to food <laughs> I'm like, food is fuel for your body. So what kind of baking do you do? So last night I made banana chocolate chip muffins. Is it like low carb? Or... Oh, fuck no, man. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like some of my girlfriends are like gluten free. So I'll make gluten free stuff sometimes. Or when, you know, I was training a lot, maybe I'd make a protein powder or something. I will do the swerve, that fake sugar stuff sometimes to cut sugar, but there's nothing like real butter and real sugar. <laughs> like you just can't get over that. And so for me, if I'm going for it, I'm fucking going all in. Yeah. And then you can just work out later. <laughs> yeah. And since I've been riding my bike everywhere, I'm like, honestly, I think I need a few more calories <laughs> so I don't waste away. Because all of a sudden, I started leaning out. And I didn't think that riding the bike was working out because it didn't feel like it. And I like to lift. So for me, that's not exercise. I'm just doing something fun. And then everyone started going, Oh, my God, you got so thin. What happened? Oh, my God, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, shit, I haven't been eating more, but I've been riding my bike. So now I'm like, I need to get my calories up. You know, there you have it, folks. New weight loss plan. Go for 20 mile bike rides. <laughs> <laughs> Food is ultimately fuel for your body is the way that I see it. And so, yeah, I enjoy nice meals and I like things. But if I'm going to choose calories, I'm going to choose them in dessert, not sauce or cheese or anything like that. I like food food. So <laughs> what are you reading right now? So I'm still really just loving this Desire book by Daniel Odier. Is it fiction? 
I love nonfiction. I'm a nonfiction okay. reader. Um, <laughs> yeah. This one, it's a Tantra. It's the Tantric book, The Tantric Path to Awakening. So yeah, I've really kind of been getting into that one lately. Oh, I was going to ask you, do you work with women with the Tantra stuff? Yeah, I work with women. I work with men. I work with non-binary people, all gender identities, sexual preferences, all of the things I am open to working with. Absolutely. And that's been a blessing. Yeah. So I work with everyone. But yeah, I've been enjoying this book because where I'm at right now, it's talking about the essence of satisfaction. And I feel like so much of our world, like we're always seeking, 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 you know, like I'll, I'll get there. I'll be happy when, you know, or I'll have enough money when, or I'll find a partner when, you know, it's all this when, when is right now, you know, the, the future is right now. The only later is now, you know, that's all that we have. And so how can we find a level of satiation and satisfaction and pleasure where we're at right now, like regardless? So how can I choose pleasure and ease and enjoyment where I'm at, regardless of what is going on around me? That's one of the things I feel like is a positive or a serious advantage of this space and what we do is that we are able to enjoy the moment with our client given that time and space. And, you know, you can let go of all the crazy shit in the world and just enjoy each other in that time and space. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And I think that it's, I feel like the money and the time create a safe container for us to, I, I call, always said it's like love without losing, being all of us and accepting all of someone else without losing, without judgments. And so like Tantra's talk, I call it, you know, there is no time and there is no space. You know, you just are, you enter this, you know, kind of void space or vastness. So yeah, that's what um, I'm getting into right now. Man, when people try to make me work for free. Yeah, I feel like that's a pet peeve <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> I know it's such a bummer. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Or, you know, like people just automatically kind of, you know, making some assumptions about me or things and just, you know, putting their own shit on me. I'm like a person that hugs. And I was in this group one time and someone went up to me and was like, you know, you really shouldn't hug people like that. I'm like, what do you mean? Like what? Well, they could get the wrong idea about you. Well, being here in Miami and hanging out with a lot of uh, Latinos, that seems to be your love language. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, I hug people. You, you have to meet people where they are. So like if somebody is a hugger, yeah. me personally, I prefer to hug people that I know and love. I don't really hug strangers. So if you're coming in for a hug, I'll give you the hug. But it's going to be a half-ass hug because I'm going to be like, eh, get away from me. <laughs> and Okay, so COVID introduced even more consent. <laughs> so now I ask people like, are you a hugger? Do you hug? You know, but in the past, like I've been either judged or people have assumed that, oh, if you're hugging someone or, oh, if you're wearing that shirt, 
that people are going to assume something about you. And I'm kind of like, hey, guess what? That's their shit. And this is your shit. And you're putting it on me. And that's annoying. You know, so it's like, guess what? Um, if I trigger you, you're welcome. <laughs> because I'm literally just reflecting back to you, you know, parts of yourself. And you're reflecting back to me parts of myself, too. You know, so whether we trigger each other or not, we're still welcome. <laughs> exactly. Again, people are not that deep. Okay, so <laughs> please leave our listeners, both the guys and the gals, with some parting advice. Mm, I always go into the, you're not broken and you are whole and complete and worthy just as you are. And it's okay to love you some you and I celebrate you and honor you. And so even if you don't believe um, you deserve love or that you deserve pleasure, I will believe that for you until you believe in yourself. And I believe that too about finding partners. I really believe that there is at least one person for everyone out there. And um, it's just how much love are you willing to allow yourself to receive? You know, just ponder that. Amen, amen. And that goes for also platonic relationships. Yes, I love it. Okay, please leave us with your social media so the listeners can find you, contact you, book you. Yes, I am on Twitter at Talia underscore Amore, a website, uh, successfuljourney.com. That's up there. And then I have another website that's very vanilla coaching type stuff is Holistic Progressions. And I will leave all of this in the show notes as well. And where we're at is um, St. Pete Retreat. That's where my partner and I, we work and see clients and host events, private sessions with people. So one-on-one, small groups. We literally co-create experiences with people that want to explore eroticism and sexuality. Nice. Okay. So yeah, we'll be putting all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Talia, for coming on. Yeah, this has been very informative, very educational, and I'm sure the listeners will definitely get a lot from this show. Thank you so much. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at TSEG Podcast and on Instagram at TSEGP. Join our Patreon page for exclusive videos on dating, sugaring, and freestyling tips for both the gentlemen and ladies. Patreon.com forward slash TSEGP. Follow your host Vivian on Twitter and Instagram at Exotic Vivian. Please leave the show a five star rating on iTunes. Until next time, keep it sexy and stay receptive.